Hello everyone and welcome to The Kennel. It's a new podcast about the team of the Mighty West, the Western Bulldogs. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am joined for the debut episode of The Kennel by Simon Smith. Simon, how are you going? Good, Josh. How are you going? Great win today. It was. It was uh, we're recording this just after the game, uh, the, the, the win against Melbourne Sunday night. It was, uh, it was a game that we talked about yeah, just before we went on air, that we were a little bit concerned about, we were a little bit worried about how we were going to go, um, given the way that Melbourne had played last week. But I think we came out of it you know, with nothing but positives, really. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I was pretty, I wasn't terribly confident. I was sort of sceptical whether we'd be able to handle all the, um, obviously, the outs, which we've, you know, we're losing probably four of our best six backmen at the moment. And it was, yeah, it was pretty much a, very even performance. It was it was really impressive. Well, I think I think what you what you touched on then an even performance is key to what what we did, what we did last year, what we've done this year. And you go and have a look at the the player stats for the game, and you can see that the time on ground stats, and basically everyone plays seventy to eighty five percent of the game. I think the, the lowest time on ground was uh, was Bailey Dale, who played seventy one percent of the game. On there, there was only four or five other players in the 70s and everyone else in the 80s and only one guy that played uh, over 90% of the game. Uh, quick guess, who was that? Who played 79% yeah. of the game? No, yeah, 95. We had one player that played over 90% of the game. Who do you reckon oh. it would have been? Dale Morris. Yeah, exactly. Everyone else is in between 71 and, and 89%. So they just spread it out. They've got We've got multiple options that we throw into the midfield, and you talk about the players who we've lost out of out of a defence. It's, I reckon, a lot of teams it would it would cripple them, but the way that we defend, it comes from the middle. Our defence comes from the middle. It's all the pressure that all these guys, which we're going to talk about later on in the show, like Libba, uh, Wallace, Dalhouse, you know, picking up forward, all these guys putting pressure in the middle that that causes the issue oh, yeah. down back, and, and it allows these guys, whether they're young players like Adams, who. You know, He'd been good, but we didn't actually end up missing him all that much today. It allows the pressure to come onto these guys. You were at the game, Simon. Um, it felt like we just were in control the, the whole game. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the case all year. The pressure has been just manic, like the, the tackling and the just the – it's just relentless. And it's – I mean, obviously, Liver's 19 tackles is just insane. I mean, that's just – I mean, it's happened a couple of times before. He's equaled the record. But – um. You can just see it. I mean, you see the guys come off. I was, I was sitting just behind the interchange bench and um, they're obviously wrecked every time they come off because, yeah, the intensity is just so high. And it's just this – I mean, we're not obviously behind the scenes, but, you know, the system um, beverage has got in place. It's just – yeah, it's it's incredible. They just bring in players and they can just fit fit roles really, really, really well. Exactly. That That's a, that's a key point. You say we're not behind the scenes. I do have a couple of uh, sources in – in behind the scenes that I have spoken to about that sort of stuff. And one thing that, that pervades conversations like that is that all the players genuinely care about each other and they genuinely like each other and they 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 love doing the hard stuff for everyone. You won't see this in teams where there's rifts. Like these guys go out there and they put their body on the line for, for everyone. And you know, it, it's a guy like Luke Dalhouse, for example, like he is in there. He is just cracking heads open his own half the time hitting bodies hard, doing everything he needs to do. And they know that the collective praise that they get is better than the individual praise. And I think that they all respect that. And that's that's a long way to the, to the way that this group feels. And every new player that comes in, it feels like they've been playing for three years. Now, we had Bailey Williams make his debut today. What did you take from uh, from seeing him out there for the first time in the number 34? Yeah, I mean, as you spoke, we spoke just before this started. Um, he just looked so composed, as you said, Um 
he had that one just amazing pass which he passed. I can't remember who it was. He passed Toby McLean, I to Toby. I think it was Toby McLean. He passed yep. it to. Um, but just a couple, yeah, just a, he just just seemed really really composed and just sort of knew what he was doing and just. Um, I mean, he was pick forty eight in the draft. So I mean, obviously Simon Dalrymple, the recruiting manager, seems to have got another one right. So, well, he's, he's, yeah. I think, Sorry, go ahead. He's he's debuted. He's had fourteen touches, at seven kicks, seven handballs. He made four tackles. He had five inside fifties, which is almost the the team high. The team high was six inside fifties, and Pickin and Bontempelli had six. He had, Bailey Williams had five out of his fourteen touches, so he played a really key role throughout halfback midfield. Yeah, I thought. Look, initially, I thought he he got pinged for that hole in the ball and about his second touch. And went, well, you know what? Young guys, this happens to them. They look a bit slow. And we saw it with Bailey Dale about two or three weeks ago against uh, North Melbourne, where he was just getting pinged and had no peripheral vision. But that didn't phase what Williams oh, yeah. was able to do. He just he just went in, linked up with guys, quick hands, made the right kick. I don't think he made a mistake after that. No, I I, I completely agree. And um, he he was yeah. I mean he he was he was he was excellent. I mean I wasn't I had no idea what he was going to be like. And you know obviously we don't I don't really watch the VFL a lot. So um, but I mean just the late picks we've had even you know obviously Carl Daniels continued his his um amazing start to his career I mean he's he's been amazing I thought Jed Adcock was a lot better this week yep. um you know taking a few weeks to sort of get into a new club but um I mean Tom Campbell I mean we we're probably talking about it before he was he was I mean for his you know playing obviously because of injury and all that sort of thing but um as you said before, I mean, he probably broke even with Max Gorn, who's been talked about as being an all-Australian ruckman. So that that was that was outstanding. Well, I think you're right there. Now, before we get too far into this, I'm, we should probably say what the score was. We were 17-12, 114. The Demons, 12-10, We are pretty comfortable in the end, 32-point victory, which I think some people might look at it and be a little bit disappointed and say, oh, you know what? We had them at almost 50. We could have kept going. We could have put the foot down, which is fair enough. But in the end, we won every quarter. We increased the lead at every break. Yes, two of those quarters was only by a point, but we still increased it every, every break. We never really looked in danger of giving up the lead because anytime they would get a goal or get a couple, the clamps would go on in the midfield and we just smash them every time they got the ball. And one thing that I noticed and throughout the whole season, especially in this game, the difference between what we do and a lot of the teams we've faced have, have done, we get the ball, the hands go out super quick. Like they, Their hands are ridiculously quick and a lot of that is coaching um, and positioning of players. But the other team, when they get the ball, our hands, in terms of the tackle, are straight in front of their hands to either block a handball, deflect a handball, or to hit their hands as they go to handball. And I think that's a real key to the way that, that our midfield puts that pressure on. It's that one hand around the waist, the other hand on the arms. And you don't see many teams doing that. Or if they do, our guys are coached to get their hands up. And I think Bontempelli is probably one of the best in the league at getting hands up to do a handball. Oh, yeah. Oh, I completely agree. And um, so that was really blustery down there at the G today. So, um, I mean, Melbourne were trying to, you know, handball and chip around and all that sort of stuff. And not only the tackling, it was just the intercepts as well, like especially Liver and a couple of those, like Dalhouse, just intercepting handballs. And you could hear, like I was in the, down in the MCC and obviously the Melbourne supporters, they were just lo- losing their mind because, you know, they were just getting so frustrated in terms of the turnovers. So, um, yeah, as you said, the tackling, but also the, the intercepts and just the um, awareness and whatnot is just creating... You know, creating it just so, so hard for the opposition. One thing I touched on before and, and talked about you know, how quick our hands are, and it's and I think a lot of that is beverage and the game plan. Because uh, look, 
Lockie Hunter's been getting a lot of possessions, Tom. I think we we all know that. That's a fact. He's been. I think he's leading the AFL in possessions. Well, he was a week ago. I'm not sure if, where he still is, but he had another 30 odd today. He gets a lot of possessions, and a lot of people say, you know, he's he's going out, he's hanging out, he's you know at the back of a pack, he doesn't get a, an easy ball. I thought he was tremendous again today because he plays the role exactly what he needs to do. And I am convinced now. I don't. I haven't spoken to Luke Beveridge about this or anyone with any knowledge of the, the game plan. But at every stoppage, at the back of the stoppage, to the left of the stoppage, Lockie Hunter's there. Like every stoppage, he is at the back and to the left. And I think if you go and watch the replay of this game, in the first quarter with about nine minutes left, um, on the left-hand side of screen up the top, McRae gets it, and he just throws the handball back after a stoppage exactly to that spot. Without There is no way he looked there, and he knew that Hunter was going to be there. And that is how Hunter gets these kicks. He just runs at the back there. And is always in position, and that's how we can make these handballs over our head without looking. Um, yeah, as soon as we touch it, because everyone knows where they're going to be. It's been must have been drilled into them that hard that you are going to have someone there, and yeah, use it and get get rid of it quickly. And the fast ball move it makes me dizzy watching it. I don't know about you, but the opposition must be going. How am I getting my hand on this when the ball's moving before I even realise who's got the ball? Yeah, I, I yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I haven't watched Hunter as closely as that. I suppose I'll, I'll, I'll definitely have a look at the uh, replay on TV because it's you know obviously a little bit different. Um, but yeah, as you were saying, I mean, the positioning of, Hunt, of Hunter and these sort of guys, um, it's just yeah. I mean, you, sometimes you see them handball and you'll think, oh shit, what are they doing? It's you know they're about to get tackled, but then there's another guy running, another guy running, and all of a sudden it's fast break and you know there's a one-on-one you know down forward or something like that so um it's probably you know it's i mean he's probably been only coaching for about 30 games and whatnot um the beverage his success rate's obviously outstanding in his previous job so you know let's just hope <laughs> hope we can get get somewhere around there well, exactly he's, he's done quite a bit everywhere else that he's been as most people would be aware now um, one thing that, that bothers me with watching the team, oh, it doesn't bother me, it's, it's, a, it's a slight aggrievement. Why doesn't Jack McRae shoot at goal? Have a shot at goal? Yeah, like, yeah why, does, in... why, why won't he have a shot? Like he, He'll get it within 50 at 40. He had one today and it went out in the full, so maybe that's the reason. But I find that he look, he's great through the middle, through the back, through heading inside 50. But if he gets inside 50, he will do these little 25-metre kicks, chip kicks, um, what is it? I don't know. It, it, I don't can't, know. it can't be something I, I assume, he's told I mean, to do. He's definitely not like a suckling. He's not the most penetrating, you know, sort of sixty meter kick. But um, Mitch Wallace did one today as well, where he tried to chip one oh, yeah, from that about was, thirty yeah. meters, and that, and that was yeah, that was similarly sort of infuriating. But um, I'm not really sure unless he's just not confident enough to shoot or the. He, he must have been instructed past. Yeah, I don't think he could be instructed to do that because it just looks like no. a lack of confidence because he gets it and then he he sort of does like a couple of tippy-toe steps, he looks inboard and tries to find someone when really, if you're 40 metres out, which he is in most of these occasions, just ping it. And yes, he missed one today, but I prefer him having that shot than doing that little chip in at 15 metre kick and there's three of their guys in front of it. Now, he did some great work from the boundary, tight in and centering it, which was great. And that's exactly what he needs to do, but he'll get it sometimes on his own, streaming in and then turn sidewards and look back, which is great in the middle of the ground. And that's exactly what his role is. Get it on the wing, square it up, get it inside. And that works brilliantly. But in the forward 50, he's got to, he's got to look to kick more of those goals. And I think it was a couple of years ago, I think he kicked a couple up in, uh, up in Cairns against Gold Coast where we had that massive comeback. Um, 
I think that two two yeah. years ago, and he started yeah drilling goals like straight out of the center, and that was yeah he can do it, but it must be a confidence thing with him. Did you see the? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't. I mean, to be honest, I didn't notice it as well. Maybe on TV, you probably got a better sort of perception, but um, it was really sort of windy today down there. Okay. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but it was really blustery. So some sometimes the wind would stop, and other times it'd sort of go silly. So um, perhaps he was. You know, just being conservative and trying, but I I understand exactly what you're saying. I mean, when when guys are at that level, they, you know, you have a shot if you're set because if there's you know if you if you got space, you might you might as well because you know you, you're just going to pass and go to a worse sort of situation. So, um, but you know, he's he's only what 21, 22. So yeah, that's the thing. These guys are so young. Um, it, it wasn't mainly today. Look, this is more going back from the past seven weeks as well. It was, I think, he was a bit yeah. better at it today. But it's just something where I was watching it, and I saw it early, early first quarter or second quarter. I thought, Why won't he have a shot? Like, just have it. And then he did later on. Yes, it went on the full, and that's not going to do wonders for his confidence. But I think he needs to do that. Did you see? Um, did you see Matty Boyd with that uh, elbow in the in the second quarter? Where I think it was who was it on? Petrarca, maybe. Salem? I saw it. I don't know. I don't know how he got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he's in um, any danger of uh, of missing a week? I I don't know. I, I it's hard to say how hard it was. You know, it was yeah. It sort of went so quickly. I don't know how the umpire missed it. It was a free kick. Yeah, I don't sure, know how he missed it either. I'm not really sure. What did you say on TV? Yeah, it looked it looked like they will uh, they will investigate it. Now I, I don't think he gets a week for it because the impact was pretty low. It wasn't uh, it wasn't something that was sized up from a fair way away. Look, if he goes, then that means that Bernie Vince has to go. It means that Jeddah has to go for that uh, smack into Bont and Pally's face later on. I don't think any of them will end up missing a week, but there is a chance, and I think they'll definitely uh, definitely look at all those incidents. Well, we know Vince already got reported. Jeddah will get investigated for smacking Bonte in the mouth, and, uh, and and Boyd will have to get looked at for that elbow. But I don't think it'll be too much of a concern when it's all uh, when it's all said and done. Yeah, Caleb Daniel okay. had a. A quiet first half, I think. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't think he was great in the first. I think he had about seven or eight touches. Look, not many. Second half, yeah. he was fantastic. And that was back to the Caleb Daniel we've seen all season and topped it off with probably, in my opinion, was probably the play of the day where, where Stringer head, headed into forward 50, um, chipped it over the top of Dixon. Dixon got the, the tap on. And then Daniel basically from about 15 out, kicked it towards goal. He ran around the boundary, held the ball in, left foot snap over his head to Bailey Dale sitting in the goal square. How look, it looked fantastic, and what was there anything you could see that changed in in Daniel's role in the second half? I couldn't really see anything. I just looked like he was more more engaged and he was more sort of energetic running through the middle. No, I didn't. I, I to be honest, I didn't notice it as well. I suppose I was probably right on the ground, so I didn't have a sort of an aerial yeah. view, if you know what I mean. Like I wasn't sort of up above, so you can sort of oversee the whole ground, so you can sort of see where everyone's running properly, but. Um, he just seems so smart. I mean, because he's obviously only his second year, but he just maybe he just ran himself into the ground. I mean, ran himself into the game and just sort of worked out what was going on a bit, a bit better. But um, he seems always to be so such you know with such poise, and he just you know he, he seems to pick the right target a lot. And he's obviously making it hard for guys like Honeychurch and Robat and those sort of blokes who are probably similar you know in a similar position. So I agree with um, that completely. Because I don't think yeah. that Rovat and Honeychurch, you've got Toby McLean and Caleb Daniel ahead of them. And by the way that those two guys are playing, they are firmly cemented in this team at the moment. And you can't, you couldn't make an argument for any of Honeychurch or, or Rovat to really be playing over them. Daniel is a key piece of our midfield. We missed him in that in those games that he missed. Oh. Without He's him very playing. creative. 
And you don't have any worry. When he gets the ball, you don't go, oh, what's he going to do? You go, okay, I'm... There, there, and there are players in this team. I'm not sure who the players that you have in your mind in this team. When they get it, you go, please don't stuff it up. Like, please do something correct. But when Daniel gets yeah. it, you go, he's 19 years old. I go, oh, that's fine. You know what you're doing. And this kick's going to come off, and his skills are going to be clean, and his hands around his feet are fantastic. And he looks like he's been playing for five, six years. Yeah, he's. I mean, peripheral vision. That's the thing. He's. I mean, because he's so. I mean, his center of gravity is obviously a lot lower than a lot of people. But he. He always seems to just look, and he you know, doesn't blaze away and whatnot. Even you know, you get guys that have played two hundred games, and they sort of still do the same sort of things. But he's. He can kick both sides of his feet, and um, his size doesn't seem to deter. You know, his sort of ball ball winning ability. But as you said, you probably can't fit too many of his size into the one team. So, you know, the way he's going, it's going to be pretty hard to sort of take his spot, I would have thought, for a while. Uh, I think he's he's firmly in our best 22. There is almost no doubt to me. What do you think of Matty, oh, yeah. what do you think of Matty Boyd's game? He was... Uh, I mean, I thought he turned over a little bit a few yeah, times, that, but, that, I mean, apart from that's that... That's basically his was, career bio. He, he's, what's that? that? That's that's his career description. Got the ball a lot, yeah. turned it over a lot. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, just he, a few that he, he does. Was I mean, you, he was all right today. The, the, amount, the amount of ball he gets and, the, and what he does, and, you know, I mean, he's he's in almost as good a career form as he's been. So, you know, considering the plays that he's sort of filling in for in terms of Murphy, Johansson, et cetera, like, you know, you can't, you can't complain what he's doing. No, look, he had 31 touches again today. He took eight marks, which was second in the team. He had a team high, I think a game high rebound, uh, 10 rebound 50s, which is tremendous. And taking over that, yeah, that Johannesson Murphy uh, suckling role and playing as a as a big as well, don't they? Like taking strong marks. The turnovers are a worry. I worry when he kicks on his right foot, let alone when for some reason he's turned into a, a guy who's just turning up to his left all the time. And I just go, oh, where is this going? But... Yeah. Yeah, the, the way that things run out of the back line, when you're running out of the back line, you're, you're spreading towards the wings. So if the kick's off and it goes out of bounds, not a big deal. When he would play in the midfield and he'd run into the forward line and he'd turn it over, he'd be turning it over directly into the corridor. Bang, it's back down the other end. So the way that he plays and his, his disposal, which at times is shaky, I think it suits him perfectly. And he's been, he's been really, really good and, and very key, as you mentioned, with all those guys going down. He's been, he's been tremendous for us back there. And I thought he was, uh, he was pretty solid again today. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say Bailey Williams. We talked about he he has to play again next week. I would say I don't I don't think that look. And this has been the the history of uh, of Beveridge is that you bring a guy in for their first game and they play more than one game. We've seen it with everyone who's debuted over the last two years. You know, Dale, Lucas Webb, um, Daniel McLean, that uh, Dunkley, uh, Adams, obviously who's a, more of a key part of the lineup. Everyone who's who's made their debut over the past two seasons, has played more than one game. Do you see Williams going out? Because Adams is a chance to return. Would he be the guy that goes out for Adams, or would you look somewhere else to make that switch? Um, maybe Steve, because, yeah, I mean, as you said, like, Beveridge has been excellent with first-game players, giving them, you know, giving them a few games to actually prove if they're worth keeping. Um, I don't know. It'd be, I mean, unless um, Fletcher Roberts, I mean, he'd be yeah, the, he's the know, one. if he's a tall ball. But he, he was, even he, I mean, he doesn't get a truckload of the ball but he was you know he, he did very well I thought today so I mean it's it's a hard one I don't know like I mean last year um, obviously time to time it's it's harder now with injuries in terms of um, giving players a week off and that's something that um, last year 
the coach did with sort of you know the older guys like Boyd and Murphy. So unless someone gets rested, I'm not. Yeah, it's sort of it's hard to see who 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 comes who comes um who makes way. So for for Marcus Adams, I th- I think it'll be Roberts. Now that's interesting that you think he did it. Wrong. I th- I thought he really struggled, especially the first say two and a two and a half quarters, maybe three quarters. Um, okay. he they had him on Hogan early on, and Hogan in that first mark inside fifty just. Roberts didn't barely even could get body contact on him and then just was pushed aside for an easy mark. I thought, oh, here we go. They're just going to be isolating Hogan and Roberts is going to be in real trouble. I wanted to swing Morris onto him. Um, eventually, they did have to make some moves and they tried to hide Roberts up forward for a bit. They put Roughhead down back and I thought that the fact that we were dominating the game, putting so much pressure in the midfield and they had to swing Roberts out of defense was a little bit worrying for him and I think that's probably the way that they'll go if Adams is indeed returning. But you're playing the, you're playing the Giants. Do you need... That extra big guy up there. Do you need Adams and Roberts to play? But I thought he, I thought he really struggled, especially early. Towards the end, I thought he was really good. I thought his last quarter w- was pretty solid, and his positioning was was a lot better. But it started out very uh, inauspiciously for him. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, I suppose he he contested and all that sort of thing. Obviously, he didn't dominate in terms of possessions and whatnot. Um, Roughhead was, you know, he sort of he was serviceable, I suppose. Um, but obviously, he's he's a, he's a vice captain, so he's not going to go anywhere at the moment. Um, but I don't think, yeah, it's, I, it's, I don't think he is. Any, I think they took him out of the leadership group. I think. Okay, I might be wrong then. Sorry. <laughs> he he was okay. he was last year. I, I have to double check that, but I think they took him out of the leadership group. All right. Um, okay. Um, but. Yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting. Obviously, Adams. I'm not sure who else is coming back. We'll probably talk, we'll probably touch on that later in the in the show. Um, but it's yeah. I mean, it's good. It's a good problem to have, isn't it? Who exactly. To, who, who to leave? Now, one thing that you, you wouldn't have heard, obviously, because you weren't uh, you were at the game and I, I was at home, is that uh, Luke Hodge was on commentary and Toby McLean. I think we can all admit he gets a lot of high high tackle free kicks, and he got a couple today inside Ford fifty. And Hodge said that McLean is the best in the league at drawing high tackle free kicks, which I thought was an interesting thing to say for a guy who's played twelve games. The fact that he has um, got the notice of the captain of the best team over the past you know, five years, that Luke Hodge knows who he is and knows his game, and that that to me means he's making an impact. And they've really got to be careful of the other teams. They know that he's got this ability to do it because he's not. He doesn't do it by ducking his head. He just has this innate ability, a sort of a slight shrug of the shoulders, a slight bend. He doesn't drop to his knees, but he sort of bends his knees a little bit. But the fact that Hodge identified him as the best in the game at, at drawing free kicks, I thought was pretty high praise. Oh yeah, I, it's funny you say that. I was at the game. He got one. I can't remember which quarter it was, but um, I just thought to myself, he's just like perfected this this heart because you can just tell he he'll get it and he'll be. He'll be completely surrounded by four guys, and he'll just yeah. It's just as you said. It's just the way he, he sort of maneuvers his body and just slightly without ducking blatantly. You know, you can, you can tell that he just does it, and he just I don't know if it's done done it growing up, but um, he's yeah. He's I mean, for the fact that I mean, obviously people are going to cotton onto it now. If Luke Hodges already yeah, has exactly. already noticed it. But um, and uh, you know you hope the umpires don't take that away from him because you know he's obviously doing it in a correct way without being you know blatantly playing for a free kick. So, um, but he's you know he was he was excellent again today. 
Yeah, he was. He, he provides a great option up there. I'm not sure he'll ever be able to really move into the midfield full-time, but I don't think he really needs to. He just be that high half-forward guy who, who finds space and he's got pretty good disposal most of the time and he's pretty smart. He's a high flyer. He can take a big grab. He's a good goal kicker. He can do... He's quite a quite an exciting guy down there. Simon, who were your 3-2-1 uh, from, uh, from the dog side, of course? We, we don't care about the Melbourne players. Who, who were your 3-2-1? Yeah, um, could have given it to obviously quite a number today. Um, I'd say my my three two my one was Liam Pickin. I thought he was excellent and over four quarters. Um, he's probably someone that you know most most of the time would miss out on the votes, but thirty touches, two goals, you know, just plays like you know like his life depends on it pretty much every week. He, I thought he was. One vote, um, two votes I gave to Liver just through purely through his, you know, well, 19 tackles. That, you know, you don't see that every day of the week. Um, 20, well, we have 25 possessions. Um, and I thought, you know, was pretty much a, I mean, a standard Liver game, but I thought just to, a, you know, to another level in a way. And I gave three to Bonton Pally. I just thought his, just the clearance, clearance work he did was really, Effective in terms of setting up, you know, setting up teammates and whatnot, and just um, I thought he used the ball very well, and was, I, I thought he was best. But to be honest, you could have given it to you know eight, ten players in terms of the top three. Yeah, I look, and what you said there is exactly right because I I had only one of those in my top three. Um, what you said about yeah, Liber, and I thought one thing about Liber, that goal that he kicked in the third quarter it was fantastic. Like. Imagine, imagine Tony Libertore swinging around from 50, outside 50 on his left boot. No chance. But Liber just gets it, you know, just swings onto the left, and it's a massive kick from him. And he is yeah. just, you know, he is really developing into a goal kicker. He kicks a goal, it feels like, almost every week now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, um, that was, that was an amazing kick. Because, um, you know, considering, you know, his old man could barely kick 30 metres, and he's, like, getting it off one step. And he's doing it. He's, you know, he does it on his right foot as well on the run a few games. Yep. And he's done that. This isn't plenty of time, so um, he's improving every week. He is now my my three two one. I gave one to Jack McRae. I thought that what his ability to to turn uh, defense into attack was tremendous. As I mentioned earlier, with him, you get the ball out on the side, and immediately he's looking for the attacking avenue in the middle. He was he was quite good inside, but I think his outside work was great in terms of turning a defensive movement straight into an attacking movement. I thought he was he was really good. He got a lot of the ball. I uh, had Dalhouse with two. He was, like he usually is, he's just in and under all the time. He does so much work in that forward 50 in terms of, we talked about putting pressure on guys. If he's not the top pressure guy in the AFL or on our team, or maybe in the AFL, I don't know who he is because he is just constantly putting pressure on guys. He had a fantastic game again with disposals. He had 29 touches. He had seven tackles. He had five, in, five inside 50s as well. I don't know what more you can do. He went at 80% disposal efficiency. He had three clearances. Like what more? What more could he do? Like I thought he was fantastic, but I'm with you, Bontempelli with three. He had a stack of possessions. He was the leading clearance getter on the on the field. And this is the first. Well, last week was the first time he'd ever got 30 touches in a game. So he's backed it up two in a row. But to me, that you know, people go, oh, it's amazing. He's only had 30. He's never had 30 before. But to me, it's not about getting 30 touches. Like you. And this is nothing taking nothing away from, say, Gary Ablett, but he would get 30, 40 touches. But he'd get two touches on little one-twos out the back of a free kick. And yeah. Bontempelli doesn't get those. He doesn't do that. It's all about, to me, what he does is when he gets it, it's, it's important. He gets it from a, a bunch of 20 guys out to a guy on his own. 
He gets picks the ball off the ground, puts it over his head, handballs it out, makes a kick that travels 50 meters, runs 20 meters before that, and it's all about distance traveled and and key possessions for me. But now he's getting them in bulk and the big quantity, and I think that he is just he is absolutely driving everything at the moment. His ability to get clearances, it Libba's great at getting clearances, but the way Bonson Pally gets clearances is a different type of clearance to me. It's it's a more effective clearance. It's a more damaging one that when he gets his hands on the ball with two guys draped off him, and he throws a handball out, you know, from over his head to a guy that's you know 15 meters on their own, it's completely damaging. And to me. It's tough to isolate, but he is, is he our best player? Yeah. All right, so it'd be, I mean, in terms of impact, it's probably either him or Stringer. I mean, Stringer obviously kicked five today. We haven't yeah. probably yeah, we haven't um, talked about covered him. Um, yeah, I, oh, probably the most impact when he's playing at his best, I suppose he's got the most impact because obviously, as you mentioned, he's... You know, he's what six foot three, six foot four midfielder. Well, he's, he's, obviously, he's bigger than me. He can sort of drape his arms over the top and sort of get handballs off. Whereas other guys that are a bit smaller, it is a little bit harder. But um, for you know, I just had a look. He's only twenty and he's only played forty five games. So I mean, for the fact that he's doing this, you know, is pretty amazing. So um, that's two thirties in a row. You know, there's no reason he couldn't you know get close to that most weeks. So exactly. Um, yeah. Well, I was I was talking with uh with my son Ben about this. I don't know, maybe last season we we're talking about you know players, and he was going, oh yeah, Caleb Daniel's going to be really good. Yeah, he is. You know, Bontempelli is going to be good. Yeah, he goes well. But I, you know, I think Daniel's going to be one of our better players. That's fine. But I think Bontempelli's got a chance to be not the best player on our team. Like he's got a chance to be the best player in the league at at some point. Like he has got that ability to be. This is the guy who, for a two three year period, is the guy that everyone is is working out a way to stop. Because he said he's twenty and he's already in that. I think he was a top 20 AFL rankings player last season at you know, in his second season, the best that anyone's ever been in their second season. He's got a chance to be legitimately the best player in the game. And that's that's obviously key, like nailing a draft pick like that. You nail your late round picks, which we which we have, but nailing a top four pick who then turns out to be better than you know, the top four picks from the three or four years around. And you, know, you might have other teams coming in and saying, oh, what about Cripps or what about... Yeah, Heaney, all these guys who are all great, but Bontempelli's got this unique body, and I'm I'm a pretty big like I'm I'm six two, Smithy. You're bigger than me, and Bonty probably towers over both of us, and he's playing in the midfield. Yeah, and obviously not, not just midfield, but you you've seen him this year go you know go forward, and he obviously with less rotations this year and all that sort of stuff, and um, you know players are probably going to rest a bit more in forward, and he can obviously go down there, and he's you know his strength is gotten a hell of a lot you know he's gotten a lot bigger since then and since he started sorry a couple of years ago and um you know he, there's no reason he can't go down and kick two or three goals in a quarter and take a couple of marks and whatnot so it's probably his versatility as much as he's you know ball ball winning and all that sort of thing that's you know i mean as you said he's like 20 years old i mean you know guys like penelbury and all that they're sort of mid-late 20s and he's you know he's getting up there very quickly so it's you know who knows what he could do? Uh, look, he's, he's potentially is limitless. The player that I sort of liken him to is is Anthony Kudafidis. I think that he's got that sort of impact, except that he's a player who's actually who can. Like Kuda was damaging because he was just so big with marking and getting the ball, but his disposal wasn't great. But I think Bontempelli's got that ability, he's got that size, got that body shape, and then can actually do it with uh, with a, a massive footy brain as well. So his potential is unlimited to me. Who was your uh, unsung hero from the game? I I was going to say Dale Morris, but I'll probably give it to Tom Campbell because he probably. I mean, he's 
obviously, you know, very low profile in terms of, you know, games played and whatnot. But uh, as we spoke about earlier, but yeah, I mean, he came even or beat sort of Max Gorn, who's been as good as any ruckman in the comp. And, um, you know, Tom Campbell's basically been at best but a fringe player, I suppose, for the past sort of three or four years. And it was obviously we had to work incredibly hard to just get it gained. And, um, I thought he was outstanding in terms of, you know, he sort of came even in the hitouts and just work around the ground and just contested, you know, you could just see him come off the ground at the end of the day. He was just stuffed because I was sitting right behind the boundary. And um, so I'd probably give it to Tom Campbell. I, I would also give it to Tom Campbell. He was tremendous. And he, meant he completely shut Gorn out. He broke even uh, at the centre clearances. And I thought it beat him you know, quite a few times and was able to get first hands and get it to our guys. And they before the game on TV, they were showing all these highlights of Gorn, of him just basically you know, hitting it down their midfield throats. I don't think that happened once in this game because Campbell was able to neutralize that. Throwing the fact that he then got you know, one more position name, seven versus six, that's not a big deal. But he also had two two goal assists. So he floated forward, had some great low pickups, a nice handball to Stringer for one of them. Um, another kick over the top to, I think it was to Redpath for another one. Just chipping in and you know, no one no one else on our team had, had more than one goal assist. So the fact that he was our leading assist guy, as well as being able to nullify their biggest threat, I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And it, uh, to me, it's clearly his best game of the season and possibly of his career. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's the most impressive I've seen in his career. And that that one you said, the goal assist um, for Stringer, that was obviously right at the end of the game. But to do that, he had to run you know, like a hundred plus meter sprint. I mean, he basically ran from one in one side of the ground to the other. And um, I suppose that was the one advantage where I was sitting. You could sort of see him run and then he sort of sprinted back off and he was like literally gassed. So um, you can see he's sort of playing every week to try and make a count and keep his spot before, you know, obviously all the other guys come back. So he was, yeah, he was excellent. Now, what we're going to try to do in each of these shows is just we've we've talked a lot about the game here, obviously, but we're going to just any player that we haven't talked about, just give a quick a quick hit on them and what we thought how they went during the game. Nothing too long, just just quick. And then after that, we're going to have a, I'm going to have an interview with a former Bulldogs legend, Jose Romero, '96 Best and Ferros. We know he'll be coming on, and you'll, you'll hear that interview uh, shortly after we uh, we discuss just the rest of the players in this game and how they went. So let's go through them, uh, Smitty. We've talked Lockie Hunter, we've talked Bont. Um, Mitch Wallace, I thought he was just, I thought he was fantastic. Again, um, he's just, he he goes probably unnoticed a lot of the time. It wasn't his greatest game. You mentioned that one issue where he had that that yeah poor turnover on a, on a chip kick, which he probably shouldn't have done. But otherwise, it's really hard to to belittle anything he did. He kicked a goal and he was fantastic. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, he's, I mean, he's he's, I mean, he's as hard as anyone in the team. I mean, it's hard to split him and pick in a dull house in terms of how hard they go in and tackle and compete. So, um, you know, he, he might turn the ball over occasionally, but I mean, the other stuff he does more than makes up for any sort of turnover or whatnot. So, um, and he's, you know, he's 25 possessions and that's sort of, you almost come into, you know, expect that sort of week in, week out now for him. So he's, he was terrific. Shane Biggs, I thought he was he was okay. He had a stinker against North Melbourne a couple of weeks ago, but I thought he was he was solid. No, no, nothing stood out. Nothing was uh, terrible to me. I thought he was good. Yeah, he was he was solid. Um, I didn't. Yeah, I, I probably agree with that. He didn't really have any breathtaking sort of moments or anything in the game, but sort of did his work and. Um, he was, yeah, he, he did well. Someone we haven't talked about it really is Jack Redpath. Uh, he kicked three. He looked on fire, really. He missed a couple of real gettable ones. One hit the post, one terrible uh, out on the fall that he had. But 
he he was fantastic. He took I think seven marks inside Fort Fifty, which is something we're not really used to seeing. And the fact that he is able, the fact that he is there and he's looking good, is what actually unlocks what Stringer can do. Now, there's a lot of people in the Bulldogs who are very anti Tom Boyd. Uh, I'm aware of that, and he needs to do whatever he, whatever he needs to do. But when he played at the start of the season, Stringer was a lot better. Boyd out, Stringer struggled because he was the main focal point, and he couldn't handle that. Redpath's come in, and admittedly, I haven't been a massive Redpath fan because I thought, you know what, this guy, he doesn't have the ability to switch into the ruck. He doesn't have the ability to, to go into the middle. His tank's not big enough. His turning circle's you know, huge, but I thought he's improved that tremendously, and his positioning was great, and it, him being there unlocks Stringer a lot, and I thought he was fantastic today, one of his better games. Oh, I, th- I mean, personally, I thought it was the best game I've seen. I yeah, mean, that, he had five marks accurate. in the first quarter. So, I mean, I think pretty much most of those would have been contested as well. So, um, and two goals by quarter time. He obviously finished with three. Um, I thought, yeah, I mean, he, he was he was terrific. He's, um, he, he just, yeah, he gets to a lot of contests now, which I thought probably didn't maybe as much in yeah, the past. That's but, the key. Um, he was, um, yeah, and as you said, covering for Stringer. Stringer's, you know, not someone who wants the ball kicked on top of his head with three other guys sort of coming around to spoil. So um, he, he opens it up and, um, yeah, he, he was really good. Bailey Dale, I thought, was, was serviceable, kicked a nice goal. He was on the end of that uh, Caleb Daniel snap. And the key thing to that, and when you look at Daniel did everything well, but Bailey Dale, when Stringer kicked it in, was inside the center square on the other side of the ground. And he just sprinted all the way down, just kept going, kept going straight into the square and into the goal square and sat there on his own when uh, when Daniel had that kick. And that's really smart. And I think he's he's going to develop into a very, very talented, whether he plays off half forward or plays in the midfield. He, he's, I think he's smart and his disposal are already top class. I, yeah, I agree. I think he's, he's one of those ones you can sort of see he's almost... He's almost there, like he's he's sort of showing bits and pieces. He's sort of um, you can tell he's you know, he's skillful and whatnot. And um, he had fifteen fifteen touches today. Um, yeah, you can sort of tell he's almost there, but it'd probably take another maybe a year or two. But um, I thought I thought he did did enough, and um, he probably you know, I'd say most likely play next 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 week. You'd have to think so. Easton Wood didn't get much of the ball. He only had thirteen touches. He only took three marks, but I reckon those three marks he took were huge. Like, I mean, two of them were, were legitimately huge, like massive, like you know, sit, sitting on top of the pack. Um, another one, the yeah. huge intercept marks. So he didn't get much of the ball. He wasn't there. But I think that other teams, and it's been happening all season, they're going, they're kicking it away from him as much as they can because they know how damaging he was last season, rebounding and taking those intercept marks. So he's not near the play anywhere near as much. But when he does, he's still coming through. And, and yeah, you look down the stat sheet, he's right down the bottom. But it didn't. I don't think he made a mistake all day. Yeah, it is surprising. He's only getting sort of 13, 14 touches, like 13 today, the last sort of few weeks. I'm not sure because he's captaining. Maybe it's, I don't know if it's, you know, having to worry about the team in terms of other things that might be sort of impacting the amount of possessions he's getting. But yeah, there's a few of the marks, a couple of right in front of where I was sitting. It was, um, it did, it, they were sort of crucial marks, as you mentioned. And um, I, I mean, I suppose while the team's playing like we are, it's not, you know, dire straits that he's only sort of getting sort of low mid-teens in terms of touches but I'm sure once you know once things get you know get a few guys back maybe the pressure's a little less on him and he sort of starts to sort of perform like more sort of like last year when he was obviously the All-Australian. I think I'm not really too concerned that he's not getting the touches because I do think the opposition teams are going away from him as long as he's not making mistakes and still making key plays which is what he's doing it's fine obviously you want him to be more involved and have that 
run off the back line. But that's a, a, enabling bigs to do that sort of stuff now. And you throw in what Williams was able to do with that stuff today. They run off and Wood plays a bit taller. And basically, he's he's like... He's just shutting down one side of the of the field. Like he's there. They don't want to kick it there because they know he's going to intercept it. And that funnels stuff towards other players, and they have to obviously step up. But I think that what he's doing in terms of blocking off a side of the field is really key. The other guy we haven't talked yeah. about is uh, Tory Dixon. He just did what he does, kicks two goals, doesn't miss. He's key in the Ford 50. I hate when I see him venture outside the Ford 50 because I worry sometimes about his, some of his uh, speed of decision-making outside the Ford 50. But keep him in there and... Nothing goes wrong, and it's uh, absolutely fine with me. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um, two goals, ten possessions. I mean, pretty much any. If he touches the ball with inside sort of forward fifty, you're pretty confident he's going to kick a goal. But yeah, he he didn't do probably a hell of a lot today, but no. too straight. I mean, if he does that every week, you're pretty you're pretty happy. So, um, yeah, exactly. Now I think that's pretty much all of that. Um, in injury wise. Expecting Adams to possibly come back. Suckling's still a couple of weeks away. Johannesson obviously still you know, four or five away from returning. So we're not out of the injury woods yet, but it's starting to look a little bit better. Hopefully, we saw Roughhead come off today. We saw Stringer come off. We saw Bontempelli come off with just minor knocks. But obviously, all of them returned to the field and had no issues. So I don't think there's any real injury concerns to come out of it. We're just hopefully that Adams returns and we're uh, we're off to uh, GWS to uh, to take them on on Sunday and what looms as a pretty big game three v three v four or well, I think actually we're five actually now because that uh that last goal counted uh, that that end of the game siren issue uh, that goal went through and uh, they were concerned if if Morris had touched it so I think we've dropped down to fifth actually but interesting to see yeah. how how things go I don't think it really matters at this point whether you're third fourth or fifth as long as you've got the wins on the board everything else will will come into place. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. Is Kobe Stevens he too far away? I'm not sure about him. Ah, uh, yeah, he's the other one. He 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 should be close to coming back now. If he comes back, that creates an an interesting uh, decision as to who goes out. You would think it would be probably one of the Baileys. Dale or Williams would make way for would make way for Kobe if he is ready to come back. But um, not not sure. I haven't really heard anything specific on him over the last couple of days. Was it? I think it was abdominal strain. Though, I it was. Think. Oh, yeah, it yeah. was. So. Whatever that could be. I mean, he's been, I think he's been out for a couple of weeks now, so it's going to be too far away. But um, yeah, GWS obviously flying and they've just, you know, they've flogged some teams the last few weeks. So that's, you know, if we can, if we can win up there, that'll be probably close to the win of the, almost the win of the year, I would have thought. Oh, you'd think so, traveling on the road. And a lot of, a lot of this bullshit that was coming out last week about how, you know, the AFL's favoring us because we played seven home games in a row. Like the people who say that, obviously, they've got no idea what they're talking about because we played four home games and three of them were away games that just happened to all, you know, the away games were the teams yeah. that we played there. I think we all only play one home game in the next six rounds. So I'm not going to see those people complaining. Oh, how about the, how's the dogs unfair draw because they're only playing one home game out of the next five or six. Um, so yeah, we've got here, we go to, we go to GWS, we're back at the MCG again, I think to play Collingwood. Um, and yeah, look, just, it was infuriating last week hearing, hearing the talk of seven straight at Eddie had and hearing the free kick stuff was just so infuriating and it just makes you want to get on and, and, you know, type stuff to these idiots you hear commenting on, on Twitter or on Facebook, but, uh, you have to show restraint and, uh, and um, yeah, oh. just let it all work itself out, which I think it did this week with Adelaide. You know, more than doubling Geelong's free kick count and still getting beaten. Yeah, I mean, there's some yeah 
high profile media commentators who support Adelaide, they were complaining like crazy after the game in terms of free kicks and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, um, I mean, Luke Beveridge obviously mentioned we're getting free kicks for a reason because we're going in so hard and, you yeah. know, it's not like the Bulldogs have been given handouts in our history. I mean, we've won one flag in 80 years. So, I mean, you know, if we're having a bit of luck, I mean, people should be backing us. So, I mean, yeah, any, any people who... Talk about that stuff. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, any, anyone claiming a conspiracy the AFL is rigging things so that we can win? They obviously haven't watched the AFL for more than seven <laughs> rounds. Yeah, so like the '97 prelim final, like that was great fun. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, which which uh, you'll hear me discuss that with uh, with Jose a bit later on. It was uh, yeah, fantastic because oh. all that uh, all that running in towards us and uh, everything going our way and everything you know, the all the fixes in and with people going, if people don't think that this game is rigged, that, that they don't know what they're talking about. Cool, that, that's what the AFL does. They rig games so that the team from Footscray can win. That's how it all works. Of course, we've lost. I mean, you're you're the same. We've seen what seven losing prelims in the past twenty odd years. So I mean, yeah. you know, like it's like we, we're trying our best, and we've you know we've got the lowest membership and just about in the league, and we've you know we're we're trying our best. So I mean, any any conspiracy is just it's just the biggest joke of all time. It 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 absolutely is. Now we've covered this game. Now what we're going to do? We're going to going to switch. We're going to have Jose Romero coming on, um, and then we'll be back to uh, to wrap up the show. So. Stay tuned for for a, a quick chat with our dogs legend Jose Romero. Okay, I'm joined now by a, a player who played a total of 211 games in his AFL career, including 122 for the Bulldogs, in which he kicked 71 goals. He averaged over 18 possessions throughout his AFL career. He was the 1996 Charles Sutton medalist. Jose Romero, welcome. Uh, thanks, John. It's good to good to have you on for this uh, this first episode of the Kennel Podcast, and I thought it was good to have a get get a, a former player on just to have a chat because I don't think there's much out there in the media of, of finding out what our former our former greats of the club are, are up to and and talking about past things that I'm sure majority of uh, Bulldogs fans remember. So it's great to have you on. We'll we'll start with the start of your career. I think we can go through past, present, and future because your your career covers a, a lot throughout the club, and hopefully we'll. we'll carry on a little bit more through the future of the club as well. You started your career with North Melbourne. You came across to, to Footscray, as it was then called, back in 95. What what necessitated that move for you? I probably needed a change, Josh. I'd, I'd, been, I'd, been, um, I'd been at the Kangaroos for a while, even as a young kid. I started there as a 14 or 15-year-old um, and spent some time there. So I'd probably, sometimes in, in, a, in a football club, you can become a little bit stale. And that, that was probably my case with the Kangaroos. Uh, Really enjoyed my time there. Great footy club, but just needed a change, uh, and just got given a great opportunity by the by the Western Bulldogs uh, to join them, and I I took that chance, and I never regretted. I had a great time there, great club, really good guys, and we had some, you know, we didn't have the ultimate success, we, which were unlucky, um, but we got very close a couple of times. It was about a three or four year period where we were really dominant side, and we had our opportunity, but just didn't take them. Yeah, look, that's that's exactly right. Now you you came across '95, and in '95 we were we were an okay team. I think I think we, we did we make finals in '95. Yeah, we played finals. We had a very played finals '95. We had a very very poor '96 season. Yep. But then from '96 onwards, uh, I think we were uh, till I probably retired. We were a pretty pretty dominant side. I think we were always in the top four, uh, vying for that premiership. We just probably wasn't good enough at the end, just to you know, a couple of. Uh, two or three prelim finals just wasn't good enough to to be able to get the job done. Well, one question that's always hasn't bothered me, but it's always stuck in my mind. You came across 
when you first came over 95, you wore number 11, and then you made a switch to number 36. I always wanted to know what, most players will, will get a higher number, and they'll switch down to a lower number. You went the other way. Why, why did you change your number from 11 out to 36? <laughs> oh, 36 was my number at the Kangaroos, so that, that's probably the number I wanted, but when I got there, I was a I was drafted in the pre-season, so it was very late, yep. and when I got there, 36 were already taken, so... 36 became available the next year, so that's why I took it. Um, uh, Tyson Lane had it, I think. It. Yeah, so Tyson then changed his number, so then it, it became available, and I decided to take it. Okay, it was always something that I just it was it was weird to me because you always see yeah, people going it's the other way. Probably one wasn't available until I got there very, very late in the very late. I think I, I arrived at the club in March. Oh really? Okay, uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I didn't remember that. February or March, it was in the pre-season draft. So um, I remember, I remember getting picked up on maybe the Tuesday and having one training session and then running out on Saturday at Waverley against, I can't remember who it was, playing my first game. So I hadn't, I wasn't there too long and, and I was, and, and played my first game. So I felt a bit uncomfortable. Um, yes, so how's that playing? Playing, play, yeah. playing with guys that you, you don't really know, like you've been there for a week. Like how does that, how long does that take you to get used to? Is that the whole season of a transition? Because look, 95. Well, you, it, it does, yeah. It's funny enough, it is, Josh. It takes, when you've been at a club, for so long like I had I, I had really good relations with a lot of people at North and, and I didn't know any of the guys and it took me a while to get used to it I just you know the culture that you know the, the different place and the players that you don't know and it, 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 it became a little bit difficult for me I can't say my first year was all that great to be honest um, it, you know the, the transitional phase uh, took a little while to get used to getting to know people and because I got there so quick and got thrown in the side so quickly it, 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 it was a little bit difficult for me um, so it took me a while to adjust. Yeah. Um, you know, my form wasn't that great at the start. It was just in patches. Um, but eventually, as you start to get to know the players and the people and the environment and the and everyone on, at the club, then you obviously start to get more comfortable and 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 you start to play better, I suppose. Well, that's uh, that's uh, you know it's interesting to to hear that because when you when you came across from someone who was you know, sitting in the crowd and, and watching. We, us as a general Western Bulldogs fan community, we knew what you were like as a player from North Melbourne. You came across, and it it wasn't quite the same for that first season. And people go, oh, "What's you know what's happening with Jose? How's the play going?" But then in '96, everything really started to turn around for you. But you made a move in your role in '96 in North. At North, you were more of a of a forward type midfielder, kicked a few goals, bobbed up that way. In '96, you moved to a more defensive midfield role. Was that your yeah, decision? Was that, correct, Josh. Some, was that something um, Alan Joyce brought to you, or was that your decision to, to yeah, oh, focus yeah, as, on that? As a young kid, I was, I was a, yeah, as a young kid, I was a very attacking midfielder. Like I, I used to sometimes I, I kicked five multiple times at the Kangaroos as a as a attacking midfielder. So, but sort of at the Bulldogs, I, I changed my role into a, a more defensive. So I had three roles at the Bulldogs with with uh, Terry Wallace. I, I had a complete shutdown role where I'd play probably on the opposition's best players, like the really good ones like Robert Harvey and um, Nathan Buckley and Voss and, and these guys, uh, Black. So they were when you're playing against the elite midfielders of the competition like Craig Bradley, Greg Williams, they were probably complete shutdowns. But then then I also had run with roles where, where Terry maybe thought that these guys maybe had a, a deficiency where I could expose, where I'd play on them, be accountable, but then try and run off and expose their, their lack of run. And then there was obviously the other role that I was just I just played as an attacking midfielder, which I I enjoyed all three roles. I I didn't get locked down with just doing defensive roles. Um, I had the capacity, I suppose, to play all three roles, and I, I really enjoyed it because from one week to another, it was always different. 
Um, one week I might play on Craig Bradley, it was completely shut down. But then the next week, when you're playing an opposition, they probably, they may be expecting you to go to someone, but you didn't and you play a, a free running role and, and you know, the pressure was off you in many ways and it, it allowed you to get the ball, I suppose, freely. Well, look, I think most Bulldogs fans will have memories of you, certain specific memories. One of the memories that I have of you initially in 96 is coming across a game we played against Carlton at the MCG when you sat on Greg Williams and kept him to about seven touches. And it was really where people thought, okay, well, we've got we've got a guy who can legitimately shut down people in the midfield. And then, as you said, run off and get 20, 25 of your own and be damaging the other way. And there wasn't many times or many players in that sort of time frame in the game who could do both jobs. And I think you really started to kick that that off as a as a trend happening and that day when you shut down Williams at the MCG I think it was a big turning point for you at the club and you know led to in terms of individual honours your, your best season there when you when you did take home the best and fairest that that season you, when you tied with uh, Chris Grant at the end of the year yeah that, that was probably the role you, when you play roles like that Josh you're relying a lot you're relying heavily on your teammates too to to obviously to block and and I remember, I remember that day at the MCG, we got beaten, and it was a, sort of like a drizzly day. But yeah, I, yeah, my role was to shut down Greg, but also to run off. So every time I ran off, I relied on my teammates, uh, obviously giving you the ball, which put then defensive pressure on him because he's never been used to manning someone up because he's always, um, you know, because he's champion player, he's always used to getting the ball himself. But that day, he was made to be accountable because all of a sudden, he had every time I ran off, the players were giving me the ball, so it made him rethink of what he was doing because I was getting so much of the ball so they, they, they were the roles but again you rely you rely heavily on your teammates uh, assisting you in what you do that's probably enough talk about 96 because it was a poor year we finished uh, second last with uh, with Fitzroy finish, a terrible year mate <laughs> Fitzroy finishing on the bottom we had, look, we had some, some good moments the way that you played Chris Grant's season was fantastic when look he was a he probably should have won the Brownlow in the end in that that game, the last one of the year against Essendon, when uh, Heard got the three and, and he got the two votes. So there was a few positives, but I don't think anyone could have foreseen the change between 96 and 97, where we go from basically the worst team in the league to being a team who, let's be honest, we probably should have ended up in the grand final. What... Probably should have won it, Josh. We were unlucky um, in a lot of areas. We, yeah, we. What it, it all comes down to a solid pre-season. We had a lot of changes over the summer. There was a lot of plays that we moved on. Um, the, the, the focus became team first which I don't know whether that was in the past. Um, we we had an outstanding pre-season. We were fit. Um, Robert Walls once said we, we were a side that was just hungry and angry, and that's what we were. We were hungry and angry, and, and we wanted to prove everyone that we could play, um, and we were unlucky at the end. We just... Just things didn't fall our way. We had a, an outstanding record against St Kilda. St Kilda couldn't beat us. We matched up really well to St Kilda. Um, our only problem is we couldn't get over Adelaide on that day. Um, and if we had, I've got no doubt we would have won the game. Oh, look, I think that's the, an overwhelming thought of majority of, of dog supporters is if we had have gotten past that lead, which, you know, at three-quarter time, I'm sure you, you were thinking that and most of the supporters were thinking that we, we were getting over the line, that we would have had a, a fairly a fairly decent or above-average chance of knocking off St Kilda. You mentioned about being hungry and angry. I think a lot of that that passionate and feeling came from yourself and uh, from uh, Tony Libertore and, and Paul Dimitino and you guys in the middle a lot and you had that sort of group pack mentality you guys you know, worked well together do you think a lot of that anger and, and hunger that you had came from you guys you know, being so close as well oh well, it did to some degree because we were in the midfield but there was there was others as well um there were you know Steve Critter was a fantastic player yep. but not a lot of people talk about Critter but he was he was just a champion guy and a champion footballer um 
and our backmen were were a really solid unit. So we had a pretty good all round the team. You know, we had match winners up forward in in Chris Grant and Steve Collinook was a was a good small forward. Um, Monty was there at the time, so we we had a really good balance um, through the side. And but we, I, I just don't think we were a very good attacking side. I think when we got on top of you, we were a very hard side to right the real end. But I. I just thought that some of our defensive work, when it really counted, was was probably what let us down at the end. Yeah, that's that's probably accurate. When you're giving up, you know, big leads in in the fo- final quarter of a of a preliminary. Oh, I think final. it looked against the Adelaide I think at one stage we were 44 points up. Like you can't, you don't, shouldn't lose games when you're 40. You shouldn't lose prelim finals when you're 44 points up. No. Um, and in our case, I think we were all halfway during the second quarter. I think we were all over them, and then it sort of slowly started to. They started to get get us back, and we just didn't have the capacity to stop the run. Well, let's talk about that '97 finals campaign. You played against Sydney and hurt your shoulder, and yeah, that was yeah, it was pretty a, early on. It was a difficult time, Josh, because I obviously forming a strong part of our midfield group. Um, it was it was devastating to hurt my shoulder because I I felt that th- there was a ball against Sydney that I that I probably shouldn't have gone for. I, I mean, I. I you don't have regrets in life, but I, I probably shouldn't have. And that's how I hurt my shoulder. There was a ball. There was there was an instant where I went for a ball that I, I it probably wasn't mine to go, and I probably went for it, and I probably shouldn't have. And and that's how I ended up hurting my shoulder. Um, and again, I, I I did all the work and, and got up to play the following week. And and I wasn't actually I was playing on Andrew, uh, Darren Jarman, uh, Darren Darren, yeah, Darren Jarman. I was actually on Darren Jarman for the first quarter and a half. Um, and then, funny enough, when I went, when I did my shoulder and came off, uh, Darren went forward, um, and then, he, as we know, he kicked, I don't know, kicked six or seven, and was the difference at the end. So I was disappointed that I wasn't. I was playing on him for the day. I, I was real disappointed that I, Darren Jarman is like a genie in a bottle. Once you let him out, he, he, he causes havoc. So I, I like to think that for that first quarter and a half, I had control of him, and he, he wasn't. He was one of these players that were. If if you manned him up tight, he wasn't too interested in what was going on, and I I felt he was in that frame of mind early. Um, but then going off was extremely disappointing because I I wasn't able to do my role for the team that day. So you 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 got back really quickly. Like there was doubts of you being able to get back for that prelim final. There was a lot of footage on the news of you taking those individual training sessions and people working out your shoulder and, and bumping you consistently to, to try and get it right. Was it actually okay, or was it or was it more of a fifty fifty? Let's see how it goes. No, it was fine. I, I look, look. It was when you sublux the shoulder and it pops out. Well, it's obviously loose, so you, you're vulnerable to to pop out again. And now, I I had a lot of uh, sessions in the hyperbaric chamber that week. I spent most of my week out, uh, in the hyperbaric chamber trying to get my shoulder right. And I had a fitness test. I think on the Thursday before the game, out in a, an oval in Footscray with Brian Royal and Terry Wallace, and and. I, I can say that uh, Brian Royal threw everything at me for about an hour. He tried everything he could to to try and unsettle me, but I, I I got through that and I was very confident I could play. Again, how I hurt my shoulder again in the final was a yeah. I, how you hurt your shoulder is I I overstretched and I got bumped out of the way and it popped out again. It was unlucky again. I it was a, again it was a ball that I probably <laughs> I should have probably left it. Um, but again, you know, you, as, as a football player, you. you when you see the ball, you just try and get it. So, um, yeah, it was disappointing. And, and, and when they pop out again a second time, it becomes a little bit more difficult because they become a bit more sore. And and I, I remember getting jabbed and to try and numb it, and I was a nightmare. 
it was really really sore. Yeah, yeah, we can imagine. Like, and it it did it did play havoc with our with our structure as well because you were in that main midfield group out of our top midfielders, and it affected things. We, you know, other guys went in there. Yeah, Mark West moved into the middle uh, to play alongside Libera and and those sort of guys. But it just it's not not the same. And it when you lose a guy, it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, Mark West's ability to come on the ground, he had an impact and he played quite well. But it was. It was the defensive stuff. It was yeah. their ability to win the ball at half back and run it out, and we we just lost all momentum. Yeah, sure, a couple of players were winning the footy, but probably lost our structure a little bit and and lost our way. Really, their their drive through half back all of a sudden we couldn't stop it, um, and we probably we just needed to stem their flow just for at least five or ten minutes um, and and regain control of the game again, and we just couldn't do that. Yeah, I think that's that's probably probably accurate. Um, who do you? Which players do you keep in contact with from from back in your playing days? At the Bulldogs, or, yeah, or both from North? Yeah, I'll well. probably the you know Scotty Wine. I'm pretty close to Liber and you know, Dimmer. We speak to. Yeah, you're not a great deal. Yeah, you see, you see players, and you always have that that bond and all that. But there's always probably four or five that you you keep in contact with your your close friends. Um, but they're probably the main ones. So, you know, Scotty Wine's a good friend. We played. We grew up together as juniors and. Played football together at Jakarta, and you know, he was the first. He called me. I remember before I went to the Bulldogs to have a chat to go down there, and you know, we always had a strong relationship. And he's a really good guy, so and Libra, of course, and so you keep in contact with a few. But it becomes difficult, Josh, when you have a young family and they grow up. As you, as everyone would be able to tell you, they, you know, your children consume your life. Really, they, yeah, of course. You're driving them around everywhere, and it becomes very difficult. Now. Let's go head to more modern modern times in the AFL. Is there a player that, that's playing AFL at the moment that you sort of liken yourself to, in, or your game is similar to? Oh, not really. I don't really look at anyone specifically. I, I just, you know, the, the modern day game is is a great game, and it's it's physically, you know, it's brutal. I mean, you, you go to a contest and you, know, you look at the the ball ups, and I mean, they're just they're just great tacklers. Like just I watched. Went last night and watched Melbourne, Melbourne and, and the Western Bulldogs yesterday. And I mean the the, the contest that you know, in ball ups and all this is brutal. Like Viney, like he's he's a great player. Viney, I mean his attack on the football is he's as ferocious as I've seen any football player. Um, and the the ability of the Bulldogs to to move the ball and transition from the back line with quick hands and and then get it to a, an open forward line, it's it's actually great to watch. They're a good side. They're a great side. Very well coached. Great systems in place, really good culture. It's a good club, mate. It's a, if I was any young kid and I'd have aspirations of getting drafted, or Bulldogs would be one of the first clubs I'd want to go to just because of their strong culture and they just learn. They, they just teach and they educate kids and it's a really, really good learning environment for young men. Well, that, They've done a great job. That's a that's a great segue, Jose, because you have a a, a young a young boy who is uh, who is at the Bulldogs in their father son academy at the moment and, and looking to get drafted next year. Michael, how long has he been down there working out with the, with the club? I think he's been there since he was a thirteen year old kid, Josh. He, he so he did pre season over the summer, so he did two months there, which was a fantastic learning experience for Michael. Uh, so he got got to learn. We basically got to know what, what the life of an AFL football player is and what the requirements are to, to play at that top level. So it's fairly full on, very professional, and he learned he learned so much from that. So now he's after his experience there, he went back to TAC Cup, played played a couple of games. Now he's playing uh, at St Kevin's, so he plays private school footy and 
And now I think he, he got he just got confirmation last week that um, he'll finish off the year just playing private school footy and and rejoin the club at training. So he'll go back to the Bulldogs and and train there once a week and play reserve footy uh, towards the end of the year and school holidays. So he'll probably end up playing anywhere from four to six reserve games and 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 private school footy for St Kevin. So that, that'll be a great learning experience for him. So so he's he's going to play for Footscray later on in the year. Yes, he will, yeah. So he'll play probably four to six games, maybe. Okay. Around that much, I would think, depending. I mean, I, I don't know, but that's probably the figure that I've been told. Um, and, and obviously, school footy, his school football and commitments there still remain a priority. So he'll, he'll play there and, and on, on the on the weeks off that he has, obviously, they have school holidays, and at the end of the year, he'll, he'll play VFL football. Okay, that's a, that's exciting news for for all Bulldogs fans. Now he's been down there with you know, a number of the other father son players. We've got obviously Mitch Wallace and Tom Libertore, Lockie Hunter uh, in the team at the moment. There's there's a lot of other father son guys down there at the moment. Yeah, so they're all St Kevin's. They're all St Kevin's kids as well. So yep. they all went to the same school as Michael. Um, so probably Michael's at the only one of his age. There's some younger ones coming through. Um, I think um, Riley's probably a couple of years before Michael. Riley West. Um, then you got my other younger boy Daniel, who's who's there with um, Tony's younger boy Tom Libertore. So they're they're 2001 born kids. So there's they've got a fair few kids in the academy that are in the younger age group. So they've got a really good structure there. Their their academy works quite well. Yeah, and it's we're seeing it sort of come out now in in the senior side at the moment with the the role that that Mitch is playing and Tom's playing and and Lockie's blossoming into this year. That and I think that having that you know continuity of those guys being there since they're thirteen, fourteen, and and knowing the the system, knowing the club, knowing the players, knowing the players, and or knowing the club structure from when they were kids as well, from when they were five or six where their dads were playing there. I think it goes a lot, and it brings a lot of the passion. You see the players out there playing with passion and playing with passion for each other and for the club, and I, I think it contributes a tremendous amount into the success we're currently having at the moment. Yeah, I think twenty percent of their players are father sons or something, something like that. So they've got a they've got a pretty good record. So what they do is they identify the kids pretty early, Josh, and what they do is they they work on their strengths and they try and mould the kids to what they need, which is which is which is a smart way of doing it, really. They'll identify that a kid's got a specific talent, but then they they need other specific things, and then they'll mould. They virtually mould the kids to how they want them to play. And yeah, the the feedback from very young is we need you to do this and this, and and so they they give the kids feedback, and they enjoy going there. The kids, um, it's a good environment, as I said. To it's a really good environment to learn, um, and obviously going to to a football club where their fathers played is is obviously pretty exciting for the young men. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's a I think it's a great part of our game that we can have these sort of family traditions moving through teams, and we've had it probably better than anyone maybe equal to Geelong in terms of success from the father son program, and it looks like it's going to be continuing through the, the next couple of seasons. Jose, thank you for uh, for joining us today. Thanks for coming on and having a chat about uh, your playing days, about the future of the club. It's been great having you here. No worries, thanks, Josh. Thanks for that. No problem, Jose. All right, that was a good chat there with uh, with Jose Simon. We're back here now, just uh, wrapping things up. The club released their Indigenous uh, jumpers for Indigenous round this year, which we don't actually, I don't can't even remember when Indigenous round is. But what did you think of the jumpers? Did you like them, dislike them, any issue with them? I haven't actually seen them, so I can't comment. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fair enough. They are. I think they look pretty good. I'm. Uh, they got a uh, like 
the standard red, white, and blue theme across it. There's a like a a black silhouette of a of a player on there. Standard sort of Aboriginal art on there. I think they look absolutely fine. There's no issue whatsoever. And the the men and women uh, were were modelling the 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 Guernseys. They look, they look great. I'm, I'm all for uh, I'm all for Guernseys. Uh, the one thing I don't like about, I don't like the one we have with the big bulldog on the side. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah, I don't like it. It's just I hate big logos. And uh, what did you think of the jumper that Adelaide wore against us last week? Uh, um, I can't. Oh, I can't quite picture it. No, it was, head. It was, what was it? yellow, yellow with a blue and red stripe. Just it was basically like their their home Guernsey was just the dark blue with a red and yellow stripe across it. But it was yellow with a with a blue and red stripe across it. it I just, didn't mind it. I didn't think it was. Uh, it probably wasn't great, but I suppose unless you're an Adelaide supporter, it probably doesn't really. I mean, our opinion probably doesn't. I mean, matter that much. Did Did you like it? Yeah, or? I, I hate the jerseys that they put out there that are just like Adelaide's previous one was white and it had like you know, streaks of paint across it and a big crow across the front. I hate that. I hate those big logos. The Eagles had one. Hawthorne's got one. I, I hate it. I hate that big, that massive logo across the front. Our one, at least, is not on the front. It's on the side, but I'm not a fan of that. I just want it simple. I, I love new stuff, but I don't like the big logo and the, the previous Adelaide white away Guernsey was horrific, and uh, I'm glad they went to that yellow one, which a lot of people hated as well. But I'm uh, I was very anti that one they previously had. All right, Simon, we are wrapping up today's podcast. I think uh, it was good for the first episode. How'd you feel? Good, uh, good talking about the game. Yeah, no, it was good fun. I was sort of jotting down sort of stats and notes during the day just to try and get my head around, you know, who who set up the three two one and best player and unsung hero and all that sort of stuff. But I enjoyed it, and hopefully we can do it after some, you know, as many wins as possible. Exactly. That would, that would be great. Now, let's talk about some contact information. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you find good podcasts. On iTunes, just search the, the kennel. It'll be on any other uh, podcast catcher that you use. You can find the podcast on Twitter at The Kennel Pod. Uh, it's on facebook.com slash The Kennel Podcast. Simon, what is your individual uh, Twitter account? Uh, my individual is at Simon A. Benedict. All right, so if you want to follow Simon there and uh, and chat dog stuff or anything else there, now my I've got my own individual Twitter account. You're probably not want, going to want to follow that unless you're heavily into the NBA, and that is at RedRock underscore Because if you if you aren't aware, I do host a, an NBA podcast, which is uh which has been going okay, and there's uh everything that comes out of that Twitter account is basically basketball related. So I'll be tweeting from uh, at the Kennel Pod uh, during games and during the week, and yeah, check out the Facebook page, and I'll have all the links to the show where you can uh, listen, download, and uh, and subscribe to the podcast, so you never miss an episode we'll be hoping to have some guests on throughout the season uh, past players current players possibly uh, we're still trying to work that out but i think it's a it's a good idea just to have a chat on the games there's really not much bulldogs media out there and i think it's good to have a, a couple of guys who are, who are watching these games and have been watching them for the last 30 years um and have an understanding and have a i think somewhat grounded perspective on, on what we're doing i think uh, i think it's going to go all right Simon. I'm, I'm pretty excited for it I totally agree. Um, yeah, I mean, as you said, I mean, the Bulldogs coverage is not, you know, sort of as, as widespread as Collingwood or Richmond or Hawthorne and whatnot. So, um, if yeah, if we can get as many Bulldogs supporters listening and hopefully get guests on, that'll, that'll be the, that'll be the biggest thing. Obviously, Jose will be he was terrific today, and um, in the future, hopefully, we get some you know big big 
bigger names. Yeah, we've got some uh, we've got some other names sort of in the pipeline that we're, we're waiting to chat. Won't just be players. We look for uh, people who work at the club and that sort of stuff. And we've got a few interesting names that we're we're working on at the moment. But um, stay tuned, subscribe. You'll never miss an episode. And if you want to yeah, give us some feedback via Twitter, via Facebook, you can you can do all that and uh, and let us know what you, what you thought of the show, where to improve, what things you liked, all that sort of stuff. Simon, thanks for jumping on. It's uh, it was great to chat to you. Appreciate it, Josh. Um, Do it next time. Yep, not a problem. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.